This is episode number 149, Your Frequently Asked Questions About Plant-Based Diets. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, inspiring stories, and sports science to help you be better every day. And I'm really excited about today's episode because it's near and dear to my heart and doing research on plant-based nutrition is something that I do pretty much every single week and some weeks I even do it daily. And I've had the extreme luxury of having access to all of the leading experts, doctors and researchers in this field, both on this podcast and just through personal relationships and discussions and also reading their books. So I definitely spent some time along with my husband, Matt, who will be joining us to research your questions to make sure that you're getting the most up-to-date answers. And also we'll be providing a bunch of resources in the show notes if you decide that you want to do more of your own research. So I'm really excited about this episode. And if you guys are interested in the Plant Power Tribe Facebook group, it's a free Facebook group. Everyone is invited. There's about 1,700 members at the moment. And you don't have to be plant-based to join. You just have to be plant curious. And it's where people post things about topics like we're discussing today, just so we can see what other people do. And it's more of like a chat room or a forum. It's not just me writing stuff or posting stuff all the time. I have a Plant Power Tribe Instagram that is me just posting facts and tips and recipes. But the Facebook group is a really great resource if you want to surround yourself with people who have similar questions and get to hear different perspectives. And last, before we get into it, I want to make sure you guys know about my Plant Power Tribe cookbook, which is available at moxieandgrit.com. And a lot of you, many of you have bought this cookbook and thank you so much. And I love all the feedback and I'm so glad that you guys are enjoying it. So if you want about 25 recipes that are really easy to make, guaranteed to make you feel good and are easy and fast, go to moxieandgrit.com and get the Plant Power Tribe cookbook. Again, it's a digital cookbook and I'm super excited that you guys have been purchasing it. All right, so let's get into today's plant-based frequently asked questions. All right, so today's pretty fun because a lot of times I'm recording these podcasts looking at an awesome person through a computer screen and getting to have live conversations is so awesome. And a lot of podcasters, well, not a lot, I guess, but some of the very top podcasters have the budget and they become solely podcasters. So they get to travel around doing live podcasts with people that they interview. Hopefully one day I'll be able to do that. But getting to sit in my living room with my husband, Matt, and talk about things that we love that get to help other people is basically the best thing I could be doing on a Saturday. Hello, everyone. I'm looking forward to it too. Yeah. So I think it's important to talk about how you and I both came to be eating plant-based diets. A lot of you are familiar with my story. Some of you are familiar with Matt's story, but some of you might be brand new to the show today. So I just wanted to do an overview as to how we got into eating this way before we get into your questions. So Matt, we met in 2012 at BC Bike Race, and I guess our first interaction was eating a dinner together. And at stage races, the meals, everybody sits in this like big cafeteria-like setting, and it's a buffet. And I noticed that you didn't have any meat on your plate. And I asked you about your diet and you said you're eating a plant-based diet. So when did you change your diet and why did you do that? I changed my diet in around 2011, 2012. I had never heard about 
what you eat would impact your health. I had no idea. And I happened to come across a documentary one evening looking for something to watch called Forks Over Knives. It was new at the time. And it absolutely blew my mind. I had no idea what I ate would impact my health, either positively or negatively. And I never knew that I had control over that. To, I always thought, well, if you just get unlucky, you get unlucky. So that was mind-blowing to me. So the next thing I did is I went, okay, well, this is just a TV show or a movie. I need to do a little bit more research. Who are these doctors? Are they credible? What is their research looking like? So I spent about a month just, you know, deeply researching the ideas that were in the show. And I actually reached out to some of the doctors, in particular, Dr. Esselstyn, and he was kind enough to actually call me back, not even reply to my email. So it was amazing the amount of support there was from that community. So yeah, I, I changed my diet pretty much one month after I saw the show. And I think that's probably one of the things that comes up a lot when, when Sonia and I meet new people. They assume that Sonia, as the sort of paragon of health, the athlete, you know, super fit, was the plant-based eater before me. And it was actually the other way around. So when Sonia had met me, she'd known some vegans from what I understand, but didn't really understand perhaps what plant-based eating was all about or really connect with it. And I think something really interesting about this, or well, there's two things. The first one I want to bring up is, for me, I'll get into my story, but changing my diet wasn't an extreme compared to how I was already eating. But from what you told me, it was an extreme compared to how you were eating before. So how are you eating before you changed your diet? Yeah, I would say I had pretty much the standard American diet, I guess. I mean, I had vegetables if they were on my burger. And the odd time I might have like a side salad of something as long as it had Caesar dressing on it or that kind of thing. But I didn't particularly like to eat fruit. I didn't really like vegetables very much. And I like, you know, more refined foods. I wasn't a total train wreck. I've always been, you know, athletic and into sports and all kinds of things. So I understood that you had to eat relatively well, but I had no idea about nutrition and, and how to eat well other than if you eat too many calories, you get fat. And if you don't, you get skinny. That's the complete depth of my knowledge. Yeah, I think it's important to bring that up because I think that people think you need to have this in-depth knowledge of nutrition when you change your diet, which you do need to do research to learn about, but you don't have to be a scholar when changing your diet. And also you can be eating a standard American diet and like it's different for everybody how they want to do it, but you basically changed your diet overnight and went all or none, cold turkey. So it's possible to do those things Something else that I really thought was interesting and that I've heard repeatedly from podcast guests and I've had this myself and, and from you too, is that you experienced kind of a life transformation when you changed your diet. And it sounds like woo-woo or a bit over the top, but it really does happen for lots of people. So what was it that changed for you in your life? I, there was nothing that was like, you know, one week I start eating plants and the next thing, you know, the <laughs> the clouds part and the world looks different. But Looking back, you start seeing how different your behavior started to become. So the first thing that I noticed was my energy level wasn't necessarily much higher, but it was much more consistent. So I didn't go through the two o'clock to four o'clock or one o'clock to three o'clock grind down at work, kind of staring at my screen, trying to stay at, you know, active at work. I work in a professional setting, so I'm sitting down and working in front of a screen or in front of clients all day. So I'm not outside. So you would really notice your energy levels flag or concentrations flag in the middle of the day. That was gone inadvertently, I forgot to drink coffee in the mornings. I just sort of got up with more energy and it just sort of dawned on me I hadn't had coffee for about a month and I just still drink coffee and I love coffee, but that was one of the strange things. I was way more hydrated. So what I found was 
I started making different decisions in my life. Everything about who I wanted to be associated with, relationships, my business started to take off around that time. So when I look back to the changes in my life, change in, in the people that I surrounded myself with, how, my success at work, starting new businesses, energy levels are all tied to within six months of me changing that diet. I have a really hard time believing that that was all coincidence. That's awesome. And a quick little bout about how I changed my diet. Again, if you've listened to this podcast, I've actually reproduced speeches I've given at VegFest and I've written about this, so I'll make it quick. But I met Matt in 2012 at BC Bike Race and my diet was definitely more on the plant-based side, I guess. Like not because I said I want to eat plant-based, but I knew that eating a lot of different vegetables was healthy for you. I ate lots of leafy greens and I just have always liked vegetables and I always have not been a big fan of meat. So I was eating meat. I was eating fish. I was eating lunch meat turkey, which now deli meats are actually a class one carcinogen. <laughs> and I was also eating chicken because it was cheap and it was easy to make. And I was super broke at the time. So that's why I ate that way. But generally, I've never been a fan of like pork or like beef or any of those things. So I think for me, it was a little bit easier to change. But it was hard because I was afraid of what was going to happen as an endurance athlete. So I met Matt. Matt told me like, hey, I eat this way because of all the health benefits associated with it. And for me, my number one fear is dying prematurely because of a disease that is preventable. And once I learned that the top killers of human beings are preventable with diet, if you guys are interested in the details, I recommend picking up Dr. Michael Greger's book, How Not to Die, where he goes through, I think it's the top 12 killers of humans and how plant-based diet is an amazing intervention for those things. And you can reverse cardiovascular disease. You can reverse and prevent certain types of cancer. It was just incredible. So I thought, I'm going to check this out, but I was really nervous to do so. And again, I watched the documentary Forks Over Knives because at that time there weren't that many documentaries out. And now it's awesome that there are so many because people need to hear messages in different ways. People resonate with things in different ways. And I ended up doing my own research as well. And I even started contacting people in the medical field that I knew personally that I thought would laugh in my face when I told them I was thinking about this. And the response I got from them was they had already changed their diet to eating a plant-based diet. So the people that I thought would never eat that way had already changed. So that was enough for me to say, okay, I'm going to make a change. And I mentioned that Matt was able to change his diet overnight. For me, I was afraid to do that because I was afraid that my performance would drop. And I changed my diet. It was in July, so mid-season. So I gradually changed my diet over a three-month period saying, I'm going to eat a certain number of meals per week that are plant-based and a certain number of meals per week that are how I was eating before. And I'm going to slowly phase out those things and see how I felt. And my results were really unexpected. So I wasn't doing it for performance enhancing. The crazy thing was that was an unknown side effect of changing my diet. And instead of being slower, which is what I was worried about, I ended up getting way faster. And I went from just trying to get that third spot on the podium to dominating races. And this was a huge change. And it was really awesome to get to see that. And we'll get into why in a little bit. I also had life transforming things that happened. I mean, I met Matt. So of course that was a big deal. And within a year, I quit my job. I moved to Canada. I started my own business. I started managing all my own sponsorships. I started like just lots of new things. And I felt like empowered to do these things. And I was a better athlete and just everything in my life was better. So yeah, again, like Matt said, I have a hard time saying that eating a plant-based diet didn't have anything to do with that. One of the reasons why a lot of people think that eating a plant-based diet has made their lives better is because it actually makes your brain work better. 
Now, why is that? And if you guys listened to last or, or to the Monday episode, Crush It Monday is about willpower and self-control, which I'm going to reference a few times. One of the recommendations to have more willpower and self-control by Dr. Kelly McGonigal, who's a health psychologist, is to eat a minimally processed plant-based diet. And I was hypothesizing in that episode, but I know that eating a plant-based diet reverses cardiovascular disease, meaning you have better blood flow, you can cancel out and reduce and get rid of the plaques in your arteries that start forming as a young child. Like they had kids that they had done autopsies on that were like 10 years old. And they had found that those kids already had the beginnings of heart disease. So you're actually reducing the amount of plaques in your arteries. You're having better blood flow. That means better blood flow to the brain. You also change your gut flora and your gut flora is responsible for like, oh, here's one stat, like 90% of the serotonin in your brain. So the way that your brain functions actually changes whenever you change your diet. So I think that that's why eating a plant-based diet kind of changes the way that you start doing things in the world. So First of all, thank you guys for submitting your questions. I put it out on my personal Instagram on the Plant Power Tribe pages, and it was awesome to get your questions so that we can address them directly. So all of these questions were researched, and if you would like to know where this information came from, feel free to send me a personal message through my website, sonyalooney.com contact. I'm happy to provide you with those resources if you would like to dive deeper. The first question was how to lose weight. And Matt, I'm going to let you start with this one. That sounds good. So when I first changed my diet, I lost a dramatic amount of weight really quickly. And the primary reason for that was cutting out processed foods and eating whole foods. So sort of trying to understand what is a whole food versus a processed food. So I think the most obvious uh, one to look for for processed foods might be sugar. So if we cut out sugar, that's a good thing. Another one that's sort of, I would say, more insidious and we don't really think about is oil. Oil is the most highly refined food other than sugar that you can eat. It does have a few trace minerals. It has some minor health benefits, but it's overused. So you do need oils, you do need fats, but in a whole foods form. So if you're thinking about eating olive instead of having olive oil or having avocado instead of avocado oil, you're much better off. So oils are laced into everything. If you've ever had, you know, salted peanuts, well, they're deep, a peanut already high in fat has been deep fried in oil and then salted. So it's no longer a healthy peanut. It's a kind of weird snack thing. Uh, and every time you cook meats, it's been fried in oil. Every time you go out and you get a dressing at a restaurant, it's slathered in oil. So even if you eat a plant-based diet, Often, especially when you eat out where you can't control how it's made, oils are added in to add flavor and all kinds of things. So oil has so many calories, fat has so many calories relative to proteins and carbohydrates. It has twice the amount of calories as a gram of protein or a gram of carbohydrate. So getting healthy oils in whole form is important, but reducing those other refined forms. So again, when I changed my diet, I was still exercising regularly and now eating a whole foods diet, and I think I lost close to 25 pounds in a very short amount of time, uh, which was actually a bit too much. I then had to increase my amount of calories because I was felt so good and I was so satiated that I was actually not eating enough. So it was awesome. The first time in my life, I was like, oh, geez, I just get to eat more of the things I like. So it really wasn't much of a problem. But uh, that's the, the two things to have a look for is processed foods. Think about, is it whole food or has something been done to this to refine it? and then watch out for oils in particular, because those ones I would say are the, the sneakiest one. Yeah, and another thing is alcohol. So I love wine, I love beer, I love bourbon. <laughs> like 
but I don't drink it every day. And both Matt and I have noticed that if we're in a phase where we're trying to lose weight, even if we have one drink a day, the weight loss stops. So if you're trying to lose weight, like alcohol is plant-based, it is processed, but it is like most of it is plant-based. If you're like vegan and ethical vegan, some wines and beers use animal products in the processing of it. And I don't know the exact details of that because I don't consider myself a vegan. So if you are concerned about that, make sure you look into it. But from a weight loss perspective, alcohol is a highly processed food that will make you gain weight. Or just to hang on to weight even. One of the things I really noticed is that even having a glass of beer a day or a glass of beer every second day, if I was losing weight, the weight loss stopped. Or if I wasn't, if I was breaking even and I added that in, then I just started to gain weight. And the tricky thing is a calorie isn't a calorie. A lot of people will say, well, it's all about calories and you just have to be net negative. And that's completely not true. And it's really obvious when you think about it, you could have, let's say 300 calories by eating one chocolate bar, or you could have 300 calories by eating three apples. And do you think that you'll have the exact same outcome of eating an apple versus a chocolate bar? Intuitively, we know that chocolate bars are bad for us and we're probably going to gain weight. So it's the quality of the calories. And for some reason with alcohol, for me, and it could be just the way my physiology is or Sonia's, it actually has a, an effect where it's not just, well, I only had 100 calories in that one beer. I'm sure that it won't stop me from losing weight. Well, it, it, it does. So be very cautious around alcohol if you're trying to manage your weight. Another thing about weight loss, if you're eating a whole foods plant-based diet is whenever we look at traditional quote dieting, like plant-based diet is not dieting. It's just eating healthy your, the rest of your life. But a lot of times people think, well, I need to severely restrict my calories so that my calories in are less than my calories out. So number one, you can't outrun your mouth. You can't out exercise a bad diet. I literally have done 20 hour training weeks where I was eating out a lot. I was eating lots of treats. I was drinking beer and guess what? I gained weight. So <laughs> no matter how much you exercise, and, and this might only be for certain body types, but like the food that you eat is more important than the exercise in terms of weight loss. Exercise is very important for your health. But if you're trying to lose weight, look at your diet first. Don't try and just add in more intervals or add in more hours. Look at your diet first. Number two, when you're eating a whole foods plant-based diet, you don't have to restrict. You just have to change. So don't eat processed foods. Don't add oils to your foods and just keep eating the same amount. And chances are that you will lose weight. Yeah, I would say rather than counting calories, be as diligent about is this whole foods and can I make a better choice? And if you do not eat out and you make your food at home and it's whole foods, all you need to worry about is, am I hungry? And if I'm hungry, eat more. Because I can guarantee you, if you're eating at home and you're eating whole foods and you're active, you're gonna have a hard time getting enough calories to begin with. So it's gonna be a strange place psychologically to be because every other time I've ever tried to lose weight in the past, it's been about restriction and deprivation and feeling hungry. Well, it just goes away. It, you don't have that. So focus on whole foods and make your food at home and just eat as much as you want. And not to beat this topic to death, but before I changed my diet, cyclists always want to lose weight. Like, I don't know <laughs> what this is, but it just, it just is. And it seems like I just got to lose five pounds. And I heard this, I think it was Molly Herford on Consummate Athlete. They were just talking about this. Oh, she was talking with Megan Roche about this, how like runners and cyclists, we all just always want to lose five pounds. And I was always dissatisfied with my weight and always just kind of like 
trying to get to this number. And I've stopped paying attention to the number and started paying more attention to how I feel, to my body being strong and having daily healthy habits with my eating. But something that I've noticed is that I used to have maybe maybe like a five to eight pound fluctuation in my weight with off season or with vacations or whatever those things may be. And I don't really have those weight fluctuations anymore. I've been eating plant-based diet for six years. My weight pretty much has been within three pounds of itself, unless I've gotten sick or unless something crazy has happened. But for the most part, my weight hasn't fluctuated. And another really interesting thing that's happened is I used to have an unhealthy relationship and disordered mental patterns around food. It's gotten better as I've gotten older. It was really bad when I was like 18, 19, 20. But since I changed my diet, I don't have those thoughts nearly as much as I used to. Now, if I am drinking too much or I'm eating like too many sweets, I start having those guilt and I start having all these like issues around it. But as long as I'm eating a whole foods plant-based diet, like 75% of the time, and maybe the other 25% of the time I'm having treats or going out, that might even be a high percentage. But I've noticed that my relationship, my emotional relationship with food has changed. So I think that that's something to keep in mind if you notice that you have disordered eating patterns or thoughts around food. Yeah. And I have to say this, I heard an interview, I think it was, or maybe it was a post from somebody in the cycling community. I don't believe they were pro cyclist, but somebody was a cyclist saying that they were losing weight and they were proud that they had water for dinner. <laughs> and, and I was just like, it blew my mind about A, what a poor choice that is for being an athlete just in general, B, how silly that is in terms of weight loss, and then C, there's a deep-seated emotional, psychological issue with food that endurance sport sometimes breeds. So it's just being very conscious of that and don't wrap yourself around or don't allow yourself to be surrounded by people that think that way as being healthy because it, it isn't. It's actually, it can be destructive. And another thing is that, again, I mentioned eating a plant-based diet is a lifestyle. It's not this thing that you're doing to lose weight. And there are things people do like I could probably record an entire podcast on the keto diet. And I'm sorry if that offends some of you because people have seen positive results with weight loss and some other things, but that's not sustainable. The way that you want to be eating is sustainable so that it's not this thing where you're eating this way for a short period of time to lose weight. Because a lot of times whenever you're eating to lose weight, it's actually not going to be healthy for you in the long run. And I think that that thought process is lost because people think, well, that person is skinny or that person's ripped, therefore they're healthy. And that's definitely not the case. This is, and, and I'll, I'll drop this, you know, beating this dead, whatever to a pulp after this comment, but this vegan dead animals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry, animals out there. Um, yeah, you can lose weight, be super skinny and not be hungry also by doing cocaine and smoking I, I, or smoking. I mean, those are extreme statements I know, but we all know that that's not healthy. That has a whole bunch of other issues, but the outcome of being skinny or being ripped does not mean you are healthy. Sure, it's probably better than being overweight, but how you get there is really, really important. Okay, so moving on, protein. Where do you get your protein? What are good protein goals and sources of protein? And the first thing I want to say about protein is that this is a good question. This is a common question. A lot of times people in our society are obsessed with protein. If you look at any type of marketing anywhere on food, it's always going to mention protein. In fact, there's these greens that you can buy. It's like a package of greens that says protein greens on it because people think that protein is this like crazy thing. Yes, we need protein as athletes to recover. Yes, we need protein as human beings, but protein deficiency is actually something that almost nobody suffers from. People suffer from lots of different 
nutrient deficiencies like vitamin D deficiency or iron deficiency or things like that. But protein deficiency is not something to worry about. And it's hard to change your point of view, especially whenever you're used to always thinking about protein. Now that said, you do need protein to recover. So how much do you need as an athlete? You need 1.2 to 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. So convert your weight to kilograms and then multiply it by somewhere in the 1.2 to the 1.6 realm. Like weightlifters need 1.6, bodybuilders even need upwards of 2.0. But if you're in that 1.2 to 1.6 range, you're going to be fine. That's not a massive number. And just some quick math. For those of you who go by pounds, take your weight in pounds and then divide it by 2.2. So weight in pounds divided by 2.2, that's going to get you your kilograms and it's grams per kilogram of body weight. So basically to get enough protein, and it's important that you get enough protein, eating a whole foods diet is super important. So all the grains that you're going to eat are going to be packed full of protein. All the vegetables you eat are going to have protein. In fact, every vegetable that you eat has protein in it. It's just a question of how much and, and what type is in there. And we're going to get into some protein sources in a minute, but I did a quick calculation while Matt was talking. So my pre-pregnancy weight was just under 59 kilograms. And if you multiply times 1.4, which is in the middle range, that's around 82 to 83 grams of protein per day. A 170 pound person, that is 77 kilograms. And if you multiply again by 1.4, that's 108 grams of protein per day. Those aren't crazy numbers. And of course, as your weight gets higher, those numbers get bigger. But if you're a bigger person, you're going to need more calories. So naturally, you're going to be eating more protein. So that said, people wanted to know sources of protein. So I made a list and I'm just going to read them off to you. Sources of protein, nuts and nut butters. With nuts, just one thing to caution, if you're trying to lose weight, cutting out nuts and nut butters is going to be a great way to lose weight. This is not like a good long-term thing to not eat nuts or nut butters unless you have an allergy because of there's a lot of nutrients in them. But nuts and nut butters are high in protein. If you eat smoothies, you can blend soft or silken tofu into your smoothie, or you can use soy milk as the liquid. You can eat hummus. You can use soy milk in your cooking. Other nut milks don't have nearly as much protein as soy milk does. So that's just something to pay attention to. And one thing I'll say about hummus as well, it's a good substitute for things like mayonnaise. So if you're using a spread on a sandwich, think of hummus instead of those other sauces. It'll give you flavor as well as a lot of protein. And we have a list of just some examples of 15 grams of protein. So 15 grams of protein and all of these foods are also high in iron, which is another question we'll be getting to in a minute. So one cup of black beans has 15 grams of protein, one cup of chickpeas, one cup of edamame three quarter cup lentils, half cup of peanuts, a quarter cup peanut butter, half cup tempeh, a third cup tofu, half a cup of almonds, six tablespoons of pumpkin seeds, half a cup of sunflower seeds, two slices of sprouted whole grain bread like the Silver Hills brand. All of those things contain 15 grams of protein and you might want to play that back if you want to write some of those down. And again, one thing to caution you about is if you are trying to lose weight or reduce calories, Some of the seeds and nuts are higher in calories like sunflower seeds or peanuts. But if you're trying to gain weight, like some people need to add calories and they need to gain weight. So adding in more nuts like that will actually help. Yeah. And we think about what Sonia and I have for breakfast most days. Again, let's say we're 170 pounds and we need 110 grams of protein a day. We have steel cut oats for breakfast with nuts and seeds added on top with flax in there and hemp hearts. 
And I'm not exactly sure. I haven't done the math recently, but our breakfast is probably 20 to 25 grams of protein for the breakfast. And that's one meal out of the probably five meals that we eat a day. So, and again, that's Sonia who's needs much less than that. So it's quite easy to get the right amount of protein. Another example will be two slices of sprouted whole grain bread has 15 grams. Well, and then you put your quarter cup of peanut butter on top of there, which would be quite a thick sandwich, but you could do that. <laughs> and you have the monster almond butter sandwich or peanut butter sandwich, and you're already at 30 grams right there. So it's, it's really not difficult if you're eating whole foods. And then I also have a couple examples with like a carbohydrate source, whole grains, 10 grams of protein. So two cups of brown rice, one and one quarter cup quinoa. And even if you eat white pasta, 1.5 cups of white pasta and white rice also has protein in it, which I actually didn't even realize until this year. I just thought it was this empty calorie thing. Now that said, it's better to eat foods that are not like the processed white pasta, white rice, because the fiber has been taken away. And that's why the glycemic index is so high of foods like that. Also, a lot of processed grains have had the husk stripped away so that that takes away a lot of the fiber and nutrients, but there's still protein in them. Okay. So the next question I'm going to move on to is about iron because iron and protein go hand in hand. Someone asked about iron and protein consumption and absorption. Okay. So iron, vegan iron sources. Well, how much iron do you actually need? So the RDA, this is for non-vegan, I guess. And I'm just going to jump in. RDA stands for recommended daily or actually i don't know either daily <laughs> allowance or dietary allowance but basically the <laughs> the guideline is the rda and that's what the medical community is suggesting that we need to be healthy so this is for non-vegans and we'll talk about why there's like a non-vegan vegetarian versus vegan vegetarian recommendation but it's eight milligrams for men and postmenopausal women who are non-vegan or vegetarian if you are vegan or vegetarian men or postmenopausal women, it's 14.4 milligrams. The RDA for a childbearing female who is a non-vegetarian is 18 milligrams per day. If you're vegan or vegetarian, it's 32.8 milligrams per day. And I am going to loop in some pregnancy facts as well, because I had a few people ask me when I announced my pregnancy about a week ago, well, are you sure that's safe to be vegan while you're pregnant? And yes, it is. I've done a great amount of research and I'm really excited about it. So you actually need quite a bit more. You need about 1.5 to 1.8 times as much iron, especially in your second trimester, which is a maximum recommended uh, 45 milligrams of iron per day. Now, something interesting about pregnancy that I didn't know was that whenever you are pregnant, you actually absorb more iron than you would as if you're not pregnant. So now we should talk about heme versus non-heme iron because Heme iron is the type of iron that comes in meat and non-heme iron is what is in plant foods. And there are people that ask, well, what about absorption? So Matt, do you want to take that one? Sure, absolutely. The non-heme iron from plant sources, you are able to absorb it at a slightly lower rate than heme iron that comes from meat. So you need more iron from plant sources than you would from meat. But the advantage of the non-EM or plant-sourced iron is that your body only absorbs what you actually need. So if you eat an excess amount of plant-based iron or non-heme iron, your body doesn't absorb the excess. And that's a good thing because there's negative consequences of having too much iron. If you have heme iron or iron you get in meat and blood, 
you can't stop the absorption. So even if you're at the limit of where you should be and your body doesn't need any more and you're going to have a problem with having too high iron, your body can't stop that absorption. And it's a hard time getting rid of it. Once it's absorbed, it has a really hard time getting rid of that iron. So non-heme iron is very available and your body can actually digest it and use it much more efficiently. And that's why the recommendation for vegetarians and vegans is to have a little bit higher percentage because you don't absorb quite as much as fast. But again, you're not going to have this pro-oxidative damage from taking in too much iron if you're eating or taking a supplement that comes from a heme iron source. Yeah, and iron's really important, especially for the athletes. It's part of the oxygen delivery system. So it's taking oxygen to your muscles, to your brain, especially if you're going to elevation, for example, and there's less oxygen, you definitely want to have enough iron. So it's a very, very important thing. But again, in non-vegetarians versus vegetarians and vegans, there's no difference in North America as to who has higher and lower iron. There's just as much iron deficiency in meat eaters or carnivores as there is in vegans or vegetarians. So just because you switched your diet does not in any way make you higher risk than a non-vegan or non-vegetarian. Yeah, that was something that we read today that I was surprised about when we were doing just additional research to make sure that what we're presenting is science-based was that, yeah, like people that eat meat still have anemia. One more thing about iron is that with iron absorption, it absorbs better if you're eating it with vitamin C. So if you're eating your beans or your tofu or some of these things that we're going to list that are high in iron, make sure that you have a vegetable with vitamin C in it. So like a great example would be black beans with your red bell pepper. Or like today I had this lentil stew for lunch and I ate an orange afterwards just to make sure that I have better absorption. So yeah, someone said, what are some good sources of iron? So any fortified breakfast cereal or milk that you buy is going to have iron added to it. Tofu is great. Seaweed. So if you like Japanese food, getting a seaweed salad, which also is, is high in iodine. Lentils, black beans, and chickpeas are the highest in iron. Cashews have more iron than almonds. So if you're making any sauces with cashews, they're going to have higher iron content there. Pecans, or as Canadians say, pecans. Walnuts, tahini, dark chocolate has iron in it. And green vegetables like spinach, beet greens, kale, Swiss chard, Brussels sprouts, and bok choy. And I love this stat. This actually came out of this book. The book is called Your Complete Vegan Pregnancy because you actually need more iron as a pregnant person. So in this book, I was reading about iron. And the book is by Reed Mangles. And she said, a cup of cooked lentils has as much iron as five and a half chicken drumsticks or one nine ounce burger. So in my lunch today, there was more than a cup of cooked lentils. So I crushed it in the iron. And also lentils are high in folate, I think. I get confused between folate and folic acid. It has something to do with how it's processed. Okay, moving on, soy products. So nobody actually asked about this, but I've had people on Twitter send me these messages and I've had people ask me because we're talking about tofu, we're talking about soy milk. So what about soy? Are you gonna grow boobs if you're a guy? Are you gonna get breast cancer? Like. There's a lot of sensationalized media around soy products. So first, when you're buying soy, you want to get non-GMO soy. Non-GMO anything is better. There was only one, I think it was like one or two people ever in the research that have had negative effects from soy products. And it was these men, I think it was two men, and they were eating 14 to 20 servings of soy products per day. And they did experience enlarged breast tissue and loss of libido, but almost all of their calories was from soy. Yeah, I think one of them, all of their calories was from soy. 
So obviously that is nowhere near a balanced diet of any kind. And they weren't even eating organic soy. They were just eating regular soy. Yeah. So like if you're eating that much of anything, it's probably going to have negative consequences. But basically two to three servings a day is healthful. But again, you need to eat a variety of plant-based foods. And here are some studies I found as well, some research. Moderate soy intake during childhood and adolescence reduces lifetime risk of breast cancer. Asian populations have been studied a lot when it comes to soy because they naturally have more soy than we do over here in North America. Asian populations have lower breast cancer incidences and higher soy intakes. Two servings of soy per day reduce prostate cancer in 30 to 50% of Asian men. So soy is good for you. Eat it in moderation, of course. Don't be eating 14 to 20 servings per day, but yeah, it's good. Yeah, and I think there was one other study that does get cited. Again, these two studies, one's on parrots and rats and one's on these men who ate nothing but soy, and there was only two of them, so it wasn't actually a a broad-based study, but (laughs) it's been misrepresented by various groups all over the media. But the one with parrots and rats suggested... They were feeding raw soybeans to parrots and rats, which don't actually have the same kind of ability to absorb nutrients that humans do. But even for humans, we don't typically eat raw soy at all. We usually cook it in some, and then all those issues go away. So, you know, it's been, again, a study that's been cited and misrepresented. And, and I've, I've even been into health food stores and like, oh, soy is dangerous for you. And I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. Can you show me the research behind that? And of course, nobody knows. <laughs> Okay, so the next question was, how can eating a plant-based diet help autoimmune disorders? And I think this is an awesome question. I am going to recommend that everyone interested in this goes and listens to the gut health episode I recommended with Dr. B. That episode was incredibly popular, and several people emailed me after listening to that episode saying that they either changed their diet completely or that they are eating way more plant-based because of that. So I'm going to just touch really briefly on what we talked about, but I would highly recommend listening to that episode and I'll link it in the show notes or just look up gut health with Dr. B. So the number one takeaway was that you want to eat a diversity of plant foods. Number two, you want to be eating fermented foods as well. But why do these foods help autoimmune disorders? Well, a lot of autoimmune disorders are taking place in the gut. And our gut has all of these issues because there's trillions and trillions of cells in your gut bacteria. And I wish I sounded more researched and intelligent talking about this subject because Dr. B just was amazing. But you are more gut bacteria than you are human. Like there are more gut bacteria cells in your body than you are human. So what you feed those gut bacteria dramatically influences who you are as a person, how your brain works, what type of diseases you manifest. So if you're feeding them plant foods, they're going to be thriving and you're going to be eating, you're going to be feeling good, you're going to be reducing disease. But if you're feeding them foods that are bad for you, meat products, processed foods, sugar, things like that, those are the bacteria that are going to thrive and that's going to cause you to have autoimmune disorders and all these things. Now, If you listen to that episode, you can't reverse every single autoimmune disorder with a whole foods plant-based diet, but genetics is what loads the gun. So some people are more prone to certain types of autoimmune disorders and the foods that you eat turn that switch on. So you want to be mindful about what you're eating so you don't turn that switch on. And Matt, you did some research or you were on the board for like colitis, right? I have never asked you this. Was there anything that you guys discussed regarding plant-based diets at that time? No, not at that time. And I still even think at this time, 
there's an awareness that it certainly can be a very effective. In fact, I'm sure Dr. B would address that as being a way to put you into remission or to reverse to a degree having colitis or Crohn's. One of the challenges with those diseases is your digestive tract doesn't function very well, and eating high-fibrous foods is really terrifying to people that already have sensitive stomachs. So, you know, blending things, using a food processor, chewing your food more, I'd say that alone, when I switched my diet, I was so used to eating refined foods, you physically just don't need to chew it as much because there's no fiber and it doesn't make a difference. But all of a sudden you're using, eating whole foods that have a lot of fiber. And you even if you don't have colitis, you can have an upset stomach if you don't chew your food properly. So sounds silly, but uh, for those out there that are changing your diets, especially if you're eating legumes and beans, chew a lot more than you think you're going to need to. But from a health perspective, I think there's an awareness out there now, but at the time it certainly wasn't talked about as being a, a treatment, although I'm very aware that it is a great way to treat it. Yeah, like Dr. B, I mean, he's an MD and he started changing the way that he was treating his patients that were coming to him with gut health problems. He's He started prescribing diet. So that's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, again, I think the challenge with being a doctor, and depending on the, the type of doctor you are, you've got a huge breadth of knowledge behind you, and plant-based nutrition is just another tool in your toolbox. And if you haven't been exposed to how to use that tool, you just discard it and you don't pick it up. So I really think it's just a question of, again, in Dr. B's case, he once he found that that was a tool he could use and he's applying it to great success, and the medical community has come a long way in understanding and having access to research and using that for their treatment. Cool. So the next question someone had was how to overcome the mentality between proper nutrition and social acceptance in their personal and professional life. Because, it, I mean, some industries are more health forward focused where people that have alternative diets isn't a weird thing. There's other industries where it's less socially acceptable if you don't eat the steak and go out with the guys. So this person said that they're struggling because they understand that eating a healthy plant-based diet is better for them, but they're struggling between the social norms and feeling ostracized because of that. And this is a very legitimate thing that this person has brought up because food is something that brings us all together. Like going way back in time, people come together to eat. So if you are if there's an issue where you're the one, the odd person out and you feel like you can't join people to eat, you can't, you feel like you can't go to their house. You feel like you can't partake socially. That's a problem. So I'm actually going to throw this one to Matt because Matt's industry, he's a financial planner and there's a lot of conferences and dinners out and things like that. It's also a very male dominated industry. Some of the people are like, I might get in trouble talking about this, but what quote masculine dudes, you know, where it's like, yeah, like dudes don't eat vegetables. Like, yeah. So <laughs> I think that this, I would love to speak about this and I will, but I think that Matt is going to have a really great perspective because for me as a female professional athlete, like I get like a free pass almost. Yeah. It's definitely a little different. I would think career wise, again, being I, literally, I sit behind a desk suit and tie sign a scenario and you have entertaining dinners where you're going to take clients out or vice versa. Someone's going to be taking you out. And of course, then you have conferences. And a lot of times you, the reason for going out to a dinner is to connect socially and make people feel good. And when you feel awkward, you don't want them to feel awkward as well. So it's kind of, you know, managing yourself, but also managing the other person's feelings towards you. So what I will say from my personal experience, again, when I changed my diet, very 
there was way less resources than there are now, way few options at restaurants. So it was a little bit different for me. So I would go to a restaurant and again, typically you allow everyone else to order first because you want to be polite and allow them and see what they're going to order. And then you make your order. So you're, you've not put any pressure on them because you all of a sudden are eating healthy. And it's like when you go out to dinner with your boss and do they order the wine or do they not order the wine? Should I have a drink or not? It's you allow them to order first. And then after that, what I used to do is I would just say, hey, I'm a plant-based, if I'm at a nice restaurant, I'm, at a, I'm a plant-based eater. Can the chef make something for me? And that's what I used to have to do a lot. Now, most restaurants have at least one or two plant-based options, if not entire plant-based menus. So it's really no big deal. You just order what you want to order. Now, if you're going to get a little bit of feedback from the group you're with, because they know you a little well, they want to give you the gears. Hey, hey man, why are you, why are you doing? Last week you were in heaven, you know, the beef tartare, and this week you're having, you know, eggplant, parmesan, or whatever. <laughs> it will take a bit. You're going to get comments for sure. But it's going to be only probably one or two times because to be perfectly honest, most people are way too self-interested and self-absorbed to really care that much about you. They just might want to make fun of you a little bit because it makes them feel good. But after one or two comments go by or one or two dinners go by, you're just the guy that orders plant-based stuff and no one cares because there is no difference. Their food comes, your food comes, except everyone's going to look at your plate and go, oh man, that looks really good. I never even thought of ordering that. And then they're going to go on eating what they eat. So- now, when I go out and I'm part of conferences or dinners or whatever the case is, everybody knows this is the way that, that I eat. No one comments about it. No one feels uncomfortable. In my firm, it's ironic over time, more and more people in my firm are eating a plant-based diet. The hires that we've had in the last couple of years, some of them inadvertently, we found out later, are plant-based or vegan. And I think it's just a symptom of the world catching up to this being a good way to eat for all kinds of reasons. But it'll make you less ostracized than you think. People are way more accepting than you think. And when you leave by a good example, you're just going to be the guy who or the girl who's healthy and setting a good example for everybody. So I think once the initial comments go away, it'll be it'll be no big deal. There's also a few strategies that you have used. Like whenever I first changed my diet, you said to me, like, sometimes you need to pre-eat. So like if you're going to somebody's house or you're going to a restaurant where you might only be eating like a side of broccoli like eat a meal before you go and then you can still order something, but it's still a little bit awkward if you're not ordering a full meal. Another thing is whenever you go to conferences, Matt, like sometimes the food options aren't that good. So what do you do? Depends if they have skipped the dishes or or what the service is, but there's all kinds of things in conferences. I actually view conferences like low grade torture (laughs) because you're forced to sit all day long they feed you almost nothing. And when they do feed you, it's highly refined crap. And then you typically there's an evening event of some kind where they're going to serve you a bunch of crappy alcohol as well. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really like can't exercise, bad food, and you're strapped to your chair. And but, bad drinks. <laughs> bad drinks. It's so unacceptable. But uh, I digress. But so my plan is generally try and bring snacks because most people, again, when you're a plant-based eater, you're probably going to be eating every two to three hours at a minimum if you're active. And most people will eat lunch and then or breakfast and lunch and they'll go four hours. Well, by the time four hours comes, I'm ready to pass out. So I usually bring a snack of some kind. If I can't find anything, I'll get a granola bar. I know it's not the healthiest thing ever, but at least I have food. If I can make a sandwich or something like that, even if it's an almond butter sandwich, I'll do that. And then for dinners, again, I will try and pre-eat before the big dinner or the conference dinner, because if it's at a, a hotel, for example, and they're serving 100 people or 1,000 people, they're going to give you probably whatever's easy to make out of the kitchen. It's not going to be probably very nutritious, but it will be plants. 
So even if you are lucky enough to get a plant-based option, sometimes it's really not enough. So when I have the space, I will look around around the hotel, around the conference area, find a snack or even a dinner I can eat beforehand. And if another beautiful dinner comes out, maybe I'll have leftovers for later. And if it's not the full meal deal, so to speak, then then I'm okay too. Yeah, you and I went to a conference recently where you've been to this type of conference before and you knew that there weren't going to be any good plant-based options, even though they said that there would be. So Matt and I ordered food from a restaurant at lunch We were because we were traveling, we were eating out. We just ordered another meal each for dinner and we brought it with us and everybody was jealous of the food that we brought. <laughs> yeah. And now with Skip the Dishes, like you can be sitting in your hotel room and going, you know what? Or Uber Eats. Uber or <laughs> Eats or whatever it is. Yeah. And you can actually find somewhere and they'll deliver you the food. So yeah, practice and you'll get stung a few times and go, oh, that was a nightmare and I wasn't able to manage that well, but it's getting easier to deal with. Another social tip is if you're going to somebody's house. Now, this is one of the trickier ones, especially when it's a brand new friend. And I have to say, it doesn't always work out. Like the other day, Matt and I were in Squamish and we had some new friends. It was like a group of 10 people going out to eat to a restaurant. And it was insane. Like this hardly ever happens, but the restaurant literally had zero vegan options. And it was too late for us to pre-eat. So we just had to cancel and not go. So that was like, that's like the only time that's ever happened. And one of the things I will say, and maybe out Sonia a bit, she is a a researcher, a restaurant researcher. So (laughs) (laughs) anytime anyone invites us to go somewhere, or if we're going to go somewhere, she's looked online and looked the entire menu to see what's on there. That will save you a lot of agony when you get to the restaurant, if you just realize that, oh my gosh, there's nothing here. Now, sometimes you're going to go to the steakhouse and maybe you're not terribly surprised there's nothing. But sometimes you get invited to go to these places and the steakhouse has a plant-based menu, which is kind of mind-blowing. So do your research in advance. That'll save you some agony at the dinner table. And socially, if you're going to somebody's house, I always say, hey, let me bring a plant-based main because most people have like a salad or whatever, and then they have their main. So if you bring something to share, it makes it not seem as weird. And then they're often excited to try your food. And sometimes they're excited to like make a plant-based meal. It's not this like crazy thing. So If you offer, that way they don't have to make all these special concessions for you. If you offer to make a plant-based main, then they're not put out and they get to try something new. So that's one way you can do that. And especially around the holidays in Canada, it's October is Thanksgiving in October and in the United States, it's in November. But so we're into the Thanksgiving season here and having big turkey dinners and all that kind of stuff. It's it's in two days. We have Thanksgiving, all the, like a bunch of our family is here. So now we're going to make and we've done this for years, we make our main and often the sides can be made vegan really easily. So no one really complains about that. And every single year people are like, oh man, that's so good. And that's awesome. So you'll be surprised that, you know, even though you're not partaking in the the other food, people, you're not going to eat their food, but they're all going to eat yours. So the one thing I will say is bring extra because you're probably going to be kind of choked that you brought all this food for you and everyone else ate it. Yeah. It's actually really annoying. (laughs) And to close this question out, Episode 59. If you go to my website, it's sonyalooney.com slash podcasts with an S. And I've created a drop down menu so that if you are looking for certain topics, you can actually sort through because now we have so many awesome episodes. So search for plant based, and there's several pages of guests tackling pretty much everything weight loss, diabetes, how to cook, social consciousness, people who have survived cancer, all these amazing doctors and researchers like. NBA champions, like you can find anything if you want to start like binge listening to these plant-based episodes. But episode 59, I recorded an episode on the best plant-based travel tips because I traveled the world racing my bike. And a lot of times people say, well, how do I eat plant-based while I travel? So while I won't cover that in this episode, 
go to episode 59. I think it's on the second page of the drop down menu whenever you search for all the plant based episodes. Okay, next, moving on. Wow, we might have to make this into a two part episode (laughs) because we are barely (laughs) through the questions. Okay, so the next question was about epidemiology. And this actually wasn't a question, but it was something I heard in another podcast that kind of irritated me. And people were saying, well, epidemiology, like looking at the history of some of these people and some of their health outcomes, that's like correlation over causation. That's not real research. And they were arguing against like blue zones where people regularly live to age 100, where they looked at all these people's health habits. And they said, well, that's not really a good way to say if this is healthy or not. Okay, if you want to argue that, you can. I don't agree with that, but whatever, people have their opinions. But if you want real research, look at the peer-reviewed medical journals. There are thousands of studies, literally. Go to nutritionfacts.org where Dr. Greger will go through all these studies, post links to all of them so you can read for yourself, where people have reversed disease, tons of diseases, and have also just had all these studies on how this is the healthiest way to eat. They're not healing many people's diseases with diets except for plant-based diets. Yeah, I think, again, one of the challenges is when you're looking at trying to understand nutrition, there's a lot of special interest groups that have a lot of financial gain in production of certain types of food. And unfortunately, there's very few companies that are multinational conglomerates that are producing, you know, organic broccoli locally grown tomatoes or whatever the case is. So it tends to be highly refined foods or animal-based foods that have big, big lobby groups. And their job is to try and just, you know, direct you away from the research that's credible and push you into one or two studies on parrots and rats or the two guys that ate, you know, 100% of their calories from soy. So that gets pushed out there into mainstream media outlets. So again, just be critical of the sources that you're getting. Where's the information coming from? who's publishing it and why, who paid for the study. And it's, you know, it's not just the animal-based companies that do this. Certainly all companies do this. So be critical of any company that's specifically supporting a study and try to get as many cross-references as you can. The one great resource for plant-based research is Dr. Greger. What he'll do is he looks at thousands of articles a year and he goes through the ones he thinks are the best. Now, here's the key. He's going to give you a one to five minute video on a summary of, let's say, 15 or 20 articles. But what he's going to do below that is he's going to send links to each one of those articles so that you can read them. Because you could easily cherry pick and just take certain parts of certain ones and craft an argument that says what you want it to say. But he doesn't do that. He gives you the entire list of all the articles and links to them so you can read them and you can decide, did he actually do that? So it's a great way, and, and we've certainly learned a lot about how to be critical of a study itself. Was it run, you know, placebo-controlled, double-blind, randomized, all of these things? Who funded it? Who funded <laughs> it? So it's a great resource just to learn about how to analyze sources of information on, on nutrition. So again, and be open. Be open to conversation and be open to new information. Okay, the next two we're going to go through quickly. Someone asked, what do you eat on rides? I don't know about you, but I don't think most people are eating like cheese or meat on their bike rides. Maybe they are. I know that some of the aid stations, some of the stage races have things like bacon or like prosciutto or things like that. But typically I'm eating goo products. I'm eating gels. I'm eating any type of bar that I like that's a plant-based bar. I've been eating fig bars a lot lately, peanut butter sandwiches. Sometimes I just make baked vegan goods and just take it with me. Like you can pretty much eat whatever you want. (laughs) 
Yeah, and depends on the intensity of the ride. Obviously, the higher intensity, the more sugar-like you're going to want your foods because you're not going to be able to digest it as your intensity level increases. And I think Goo is one of the few companies that has a dedicated plant-based line. Some other companies, you have to be a bit careful about. It may look like it's just a simple sugar type thing, but it might have animal products built in there. But for a lot of our long endurance rides, we'll like wool, I say will, but Sonia will often make some kind of dessert treat, so cookies. So we, we're not eating these cookies unless we're like four hours into a ride on top of a mountain, and that's when we have the cookies. So yeah, it, again, it depends. Are you doing intervals? Or are you out for a long endurance ride? But it really doesn't change much other than I'd say the hardest thing to keep a, a handle on is dairy, just keeping making sure that there's no dairy in what you're eating. Yeah. And also looking at your recovery drinks, because a lot of times recovery drinks have whey protein in them, which is a dairy protein. People do ask me, like, do you drink recovery drinks? And typically, like even before I change my diet, I'm not a big fan of recovery drinks. I just like eating real food. Although I have to say, and this isn't really a recovery drink, but it, I think I might just institute that from now on. There's a smoothie called the Gym Rat Smoothie from Oshi Glows, from the first Oshi Glows cookbook that is absolutely incredible. It's basically almond milk with dates, some almond butter, vanilla, and cinnamon. And it's like drinking a milkshake. And it's, you know, it's again, should you have it every day as a recovery drink? I'm not sure that's advisable, but it is really tasty. And we also have a chocolate version similar to that in my own cookbook, Plant Powered Tribe. Chocolate makes everything awesome. And you mm. can put espresso in it too. But if you want to learn how to design your personalized race or training nutrition plan, episode 126 with Roxanne Vogel. She's Goo Energy Labs nutritionist, and she also does a bunch of other amazing things. I guess she's the nutrition and performance research manager. But we talk all about sport nutrition. So go to episode 126 if you want to go really deep. And it's not about vegan nutrition per se, but it's just about sports nutrition. So the next question is, how does eating a plant-based diet help you as an athlete? So first of all, I'll preface this with you should watch this documentary that just came out on Netflix just a few days ago called Game Changers. It's all about vegan athletes and how it helps performance. But quick things are, number one, it reduces inflammation in the body because all the things that you're eating are anti-inflammatory foods. And I, we've talked about Dr. Gregor a lot. He's also been a podcast guest. But he says that like eating a lot of these animal-based proteins and fats and products it's like taking a hammer and hitting yourself in the shin with the hammer and doing it over and over and over and over so that you can never heal. You're just creating more inflammation. Well, if you stop hitting yourself with a hammer every single day, you're going to have less inflammation. So you're going to have less inflammation, which means better recovery. Number two, you're going to have increased blood flow. I talked about the reduction in plaques in your veins and arteries that going to your muscles and your heart is going to be more efficient. Number three, you're going to have better recovery because you're going to have a much cleaner nutrition plan. Can you think of any other ones? Yeah, I think that's the main thing. Again, decrease inflammation as an athlete, no matter what kind of athlete you are, the goal is to create stress and that stress breaks your muscles down. And then that process creates inflammation. So the faster you can get that inflammation gone, the quicker you can recover and then your muscle becomes stronger. So whether you're a power athlete or an endurance athlete, you want to get out of inflammation that was on purpose caused by your sport and get into recovery and then training again. So again, the faster the inflammation goes away, the quicker you can get back into training and getting stronger. 
Awesome. Well, this is going to become a two-part episode, which was something I wasn't anticipating. So it's been about an hour. We're going to wrap up this episode and then we're going to get into it again next week with the rest of your questions. So thank you so much to Matt. My pleasure. And thanks you guys for listening. And I'm excited about answering the rest of your questions next week. Wishing you all the best success in your training adventures. If you love this episode, make sure you share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and we'll see you in a few days. 